Greetings, this is Terry, Cottage in the Court. I wanted to take a moment and reintroduce myself to some and introduce myself to others. I'm a native Washingtonian, mother and grandmother. I represent the diversity found in the world of horticulture. I listen to many podcasts and admittedly, most of them are about gardening. And I'm amazed at how sometimes gardening not only doesn't look like me, but it doesn't sound like me or even some of my friends. Due to my passion about this earth, gardens, and how we choose to embrace nature, I write, I write, I speak, and I go into the community encouraging as many as possible to garden. Educating the public is very, very important to me. I speak at garden clubs, communities, small groups, and even help landowners imagine the possibilities. I thought to myself one day, I know such interesting people, so many people of different cultures and all walks of life. And most of them are just as passionate about nature and gardening as I am. Why not share their voices to my community as my community is multicultural? And trust me, there is so much to share. Thank you for listening and being a seed in my community garden. Allow me to share, share, share. So, now that we are experiencing a period of unexpected pausing, a lot of you have become instant homeschoolers. How exciting is it? Aren't you having fun getting to know your children the way the teachers do each and every single day? Well, not many of you know that this was a month where science, that science part of the curriculum, could be enhanced in so many ways. April, after all, is Kids Gardening Month. If you visit kidsgardening.org, you will find a garden plot full of information that will help you engage your children in creative ways to appreciate nature and get them to garden. Doesn't matter what level of gardener or non-gardener you are, there's a curriculum for teachers, parents, and other educators that will help ease you into an activity that will provide so much as we grow older. Engaging children in gardening at a young age really makes a difference. I, for one, can attest to the fact that my parents helped us get excited about nature. 
While as a girl, my dad did not want me to get dirty, so I could watch him garden. But trust me, I watched everything he did. And then my mom, we planted marigolds, coxcomb, and even helped her prune her roses every single year. What I found was something that really sticks with me and my siblings as well, was planting portulaca. And once it started growing, snipping off a piece, putting it in the ground, and another plant would grow. That's one of those moments, memorable moments, that helped get me excited about gardening. And it really helped grow my passion about nature and all things garden, of course. Visit kidsgardening.org. Help another young person become infatuated with nature. Maybe not as much as I am, but close counts. Kidsgardening.org. Visit that website. It could help save your week and fulfill a little bit of that science curriculum as well. As we know, education and the garden go hand in hand, particularly in the life of a friend of mine, Paula Penn Nebret. Paula has such a story to tell. She shared with me her experiences as she grew up in Columbus, Ohio. From her start at the Columbus School for Girls, where she graduated with so many honors, she enrolled at Wellesley College, carrying a double major in philosophy and political science. She interned for Shirley Chisholm in Washington, D.C., and she graduated with honors, of course. Most importantly, Paula homeschooled her children, and she has written a book about it. Paula also is founder and spearheader and all-around the it person behind the Charles Madison Nebret Memorial Garden in Columbus, Ohio. This garden is a result of all the seeds sown in Paula's life. Let's welcome Paula Penn Nebret. Paula, thank you for joining uh, Cottage in the Court on what I think is a very important conversation. Um, tell us why we should know you and a little bit about your background. Sure. Well, I'm Paula Pennebrit, and thank you again for having me. And I am, I'm in Columbus, Ohio, which is where I'm gardening now. I'm actually from Columbus, and so this is, this is home. And let's see, I, the big garden that I think is what you're probably most interested in, the Charles Madison Nabrit Memorial Garden, 
opened in 2014 and it's 5,000 square feet and it is in the rear of the Church of Christ of the Apostolic Faith, which is a which is home to a congregation that was formed 110 years ago by descendants of formerly enslaved Africans. And so my adult children are fifth generation in this congregation, and that's where the garden is. That's phenomenal. Now, I want people to know your backstory before we get to the garden, because your backstory has everything to do with your current situation. So, Tell me what you did in your backstory. So my backstory is, so I was married to Charles Madison Nabrit for 36 years, eight months and 22 days. So we met in college. Um, I was at Wellesley and he was at Dartmouth. And when we married, I was 21. And when he died, I was almost 58. And we were married together through everything. So I went to law school and we had twins while we were in law school and twin sons. So when I graduated, uh, the twins, Charles and Damon were 13 months old. And uh, my husband, Charles said, I had nursed them for the first year and was starting to buy baby food. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, sweetie pie, we, we can't we can't feed them baby food because we don't know who bottled this. We, or canned this, we need to grow our own food. And I said, you're such a freak. Um, I only because I really, that was 1981. I really didn't know. I really didn't know people who were interested or involved in that sort of work. Mm -hmm. My father was, someone who was obsessed with flowers and landscaping. Mm -hmm. And so um, his roses were award-winning. He, when he planted tulips, he would do them on graph paper. At one point he planted a thousand at a time. Wow. He was very, 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 very serious about landscaping and that sort of horticulture. But so I was familiar with that but I didn't know anything about growing food. That was not something that I had, had ever considered. So that's, so when I said, I don't know who you think has time for that. And he said very calmly, um, sweetie pie, gardening is like parenting and pasturing. They all require the same daily attention to detail and wow. the same posture of humility, head bowed, body bent. People who don't have time to garden probably don't have time to parent. And I said, Oh, okay. So that, that was how I started, I started gardening. So he told um, you a little something, huh? <laughs> he told me a little something. And so by the time our third son came along, Damon and Charles were two years old and they were already working in the garden with their dad. So gardening was something that was part of our family's life, even as we moved to different parts of the country at, at right after Evan, our youngest was born, Charles and I were both working for AT&T on the divestiture project. Mm -hmm. So we lived in Jacksonville, Florida for a while. Um, then we moved back to Columbus. I had started a business in 1986 and he joined me, um, demographic research and statistical analysis. Mm -hmm. And so our children grew up seeing us working together um, it was by design a home-based business. 
Penn Neighborhood and Associates. And then we ultimately ended up homeschooling them as well. So our lives were very much sort of centrally focused and gardening fit very nicely with that. Mm -hmm. So when Charles died, we homeschooled the kids until they went to college. So the twins went to Princeton. Um, the baby, I have to stop saying baby, he's 37. The youngest <laughs> went to Amherst. Mm -hmm. And so when Charles died in 2013, it was, it was a significant loss in that uh, it's always a loss when a spouse dies, but Charles and I had very intentionally built this sort of two shall be as one kind of marriage. So mm -hmm. we lived together, we worked together, we um, educated our children together. We were each other's best friend. We traveled together. And so in all the books that I wrote, Charles edited, we, our lives were very, very much intertwined in that work. That was, that was very effective. But the, when one person dies first, the second person is left sort of, and you could appreciate this, Teresa, as someone who works with seeds, you know, when you start seeds and then they, when you get ready to transplant them, often those delicate roots are intertwined. Yes. And you have to really carefully separate them or you'll kill the plants. That's right. And that's sort of what that felt like when Charles died. It was a very slow sort of separating of our root system. Mm -hmm. And so the, our sons and our nephews and niece decided that we would do this garden as free grief therapy. So I have, a, I have two younger sisters and an older brother. My brother, David, is married to a woman, Sonia, who's been one of my best friends since eighth grade. Mm -hmm. So, um, and our children, we were in each other's weddings. Our children are like stair steps. So wow. I had Damon and Charles, nine months to the day later, she had David. Uh, then she and I were pregnant together. We knew we were having girls. Um, <laughs> I had Evan three months later. She had Samuel. Um, I, I stopped. <laughs> I, I quit. Um, I tapped out. She went on to have Joseph and then Benjamin. So she had David, Samuel, Joseph, Benjamin, and then she had Alexandria. Mm -hmm. So our children are, are very, very close. And so the, the guys helped my guys build this, this garden and the church seemed like the perfect place um, to have this garden. Mm -hmm. So it is now, as I said, 5,000 square feet and it's biodiverse, so we grow fruit, flowers, herbs, and vegetables. We have had you thought about forming, or, or had you, the only time you thought about putting this garden together was after the death of your husband. Right. Did gardening have anything, any role at all when you were homeschooling your children? Only because it was just part of their day-to-day -day existence. Mm -hmm. So we, we always gardened, I mean, they built the last set of beds that I had at our house, they built um, and they were um, along the sides and the back of the house. Mm -hmm. And so all of my children grew up knowing how to build things. Mm -hmm. So 
having something constructed is something that they know they know how to use power tools Mm -hmm. um and they know how to grow food they know how to grow flowers they gardening was something that we always did and so with the homeschooling i think probably the most significant i guess two aspects one is gardens are a great way to teach children and anybody else quite frankly life lessons Uh, one of the things that Charles said to the boys when they were quite small was, you know, you're going to make mistakes. Everyone does. Mm-hmm. But when you make mistakes, try to make sure that they're annuals and not perennials. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> when you get involved with people, just take it slow and make sure, right? You don't want to start off planting a whole lot of mint and then find out that you don't like mint. Right. Because it's a very invasive plant. Yep, hard to get rid of too. It's hard to get, once you get it, um, it's it's hard to get rid of. Or like with asparagus. Mm-hmm. And that was a life lesson for me. When the first time that I planted asparagus, when you first plant it, it looks perfect. Just like, you know, when you have a, a baby and a toddler and they're so cute, it's insane. Mm-hmm. And then you turn your back and this beautiful tiny little plant turns into something that looks like pernicious weed. Right. And I almost pulled it up and Charles said, do you, do you know what asparagus looks like when it's growing or just when it's finished? And you know, that's true for children. They go from being this perfect, adorable, just insanely cute yeah. Then you turn, you blink good, and they are these giant, stinky, never ceases to amaze. That's a great analogy, Paula. So all of these parents that have all of a sudden been thrown into instant homeschoolers, mm-hmm. what advice would you give them? Because you were homeschooling before it was a thing. So. <laughs> yeah, I was homeschooling before it was a thing. I, you know, a couple of things I guess I'd say is I do agree that a lot of people are really struggling with the both the combination of 24 7 engagement Mm -hmm. and that is something that a lot of us are not accustomed to uh even though in the in the history of the human family that's normative when people were living agriculturally based existences the family lived and worked in that close in close proximity one with another But certainly in modern times, since the industrial age, we're much more accustomed to sort of bifurcated structure. So adult people go off to work somewhere. Children go off to school somewhere. And families come together, but they're in short bursts. It's not all day, every day. Mm -hmm. So I think that is an adjustment for people because you know you can love people fiercely that doesn't necessarily mean you like them mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's there's that um, I think the homeschooling piece is another complication a because people didn't have a chance to plan for this right and B I think we're not always clear about what we are looking for education to do because we're so accustomed to the institutionalized nature of it, we just sort of turn our children over to this. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's much easier to critique something than to create. Amen. 
So a lot of us are accustomed to critiquing the educational systems and we, and there certainly is lots to critique. We're not as a, a well-versed or experienced in the creation of educational options for our children. So I think that, that's, that adds to it. I do get the suddenness of it because we didn't plan to homeschool. We homeschooled um, because our kids were expelled. Our kids were in an independent day school and our tuition payment was late and the children were, were expelled. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, there were, there were other issues as well. I, I mean, part of it was, I think things came to a head when the summer leading into uh, Damon and Charles were 11. Mm-hmm. We, so they were going to the, f- I guess, fourth grade, maybe. Anyway, they, um, we had, I thought it would be a wonderful idea to have a back to school picnic for the black parents and children. Because mm-hmm. one of the things about private school, I went to an independent day school. I was the only black kid in my class. A lot of times by the time black children figure out what's happening and you know, there's the academics, but then there's also the whole social milieu of private school. Mm-hmm. And frequently so much energy is spent trying to figure out what the norms are and then how to adapt to succeed in those spaces. Mm-hmm. And usually by the time you figured it out, you're done, right? And so I thought, I knew that had been my experience. I have two younger sisters who went to the same, same um, Columbus School for Girls that I went to. All three of us went to Wellesley. So I have some experience with this. Right. But I also noticed that a lot of other Black parents would call me offline whenever things happened at school. Like, this happened, and what do you think? Is, is, this, an, is this one of the proverbial isolated incidents, and I should just let it go? Or is this part of a trend? How should I deal with that? And I thought, I'll just have this picnic and invite all the black parents and their kids. So their kids, all the black kids will know each other. I saw that as completely parallel to what happens in prep schools and boarding schools and public schools in upper middle class suburban communities. The parents already know each other. They belong to the same country clubs. They golf together. They play tennis together. Their children go to the same summer camps together. They have all of these outside school engagements mm-hmm. that help form community. Community isn't just what happens at the school. And so when, when Black children come into these spaces and say they don't live in those same neighborhoods or their parents don't belong to those same country clubs or they don't go to those same summer camps, they don't have that sort of extra community piece. And so I thought it would be great for black kids to have this extra community piece too. Well, everyone did not think that was such a great idea, Teresa. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And interestingly enough, there were some black parents who, so when the head of school called me in and said, you know, I've gotten a lot of complaints about this. Some of the other black parents were really upset. I was like, they didn't know you knew that they were black. I mean, you know, they didn't have to come. They didn't want, so there was that. Mm. But you know, that phenomenon of folks who want to go incognito, mm-hmm. they want to be the only one. So oh. there was that. Um, and then 
the school, the head, the headmaster felt that um, I should have asked permission. And my thing wait, was, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's pause it. You were paying tuition. Mm -hmm. I should have asked permission about having um, a social gathering. Okay. I said, so did any of the barbecues and cookouts and tennis tournaments and golf tournaments that you went to at any of the country clubs this summer, did any of them get permission? That's what I thought. So um, yeah, it ended badly. And the late tuition just created a really great space to say, yeah, y'all. <laughs> um, and I thought, well, I wasn't pleased. But the other thing is, sometimes when people show you who they are, you should believe them. Right string, right string, wrong yo-yo. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right string, wrong yo-yo. So, um, yeah, their father and I decided. I mean, there's no, there's no sort of humble way to say this, but we were certainly as well or better educated than anybody at that school, mm. faculty, administration, or staff. Mm. Um, and yeah, my husband whizzed through Dartmouth in three years and graduated with honors and a box of varsity letters. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we're like, deuces, we out. So but what was interesting, what was, there are always so many unexpected unintended consequences our absence was quite conspicuous I think the school administrators felt like this would be a good sort of optic lesson for other other um, black folks or people who are not quite in the power structure to recognize there are consequences when you don't toe the line right I don't think they thought that it would generate the kind of critique that it did because a lot of people were like, what are you, what are you doing? I mean, what, what's happened here? Because these are wonderful kids and this is a wonderful family. So the school ultimately called and said, you know, we, we were all upset. We all said some things we didn't mean. We can work this out. <laughs> Charles and I were like, yeah, no, we didn't say anything we didn't mean. We meant what we said. We said what we meant. And we assumed that you did too. And, but once somebody tells you, if you send your child back, we will embarrass them. Once an adult tells you that, I don't know how in good conscience you could think of sending your child back there. Right. So we didn't. And that's how we ended up homeschooling. But it was not a planned thing. We hadn't always said, oh, this is what we're always going to do. It was, once that happened, I thought, you know, we've tried lots of different schools and quite frankly, institutionalized education, whether it's public, private, parochial, or charter, education is designed to prepare children to take their place in society. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, if you're not comfortable with the existing stratification, then it's, there's going to be an inherent conflict. And so we just thought, you know what? I'm tired of going back and forth to various schools about stuff. And so we just decided we would do it ourselves. And I wrote, I've written several books. One, uh, the first book I did, As For Me In My House, mm -hmm. because people kept asking me, why are you doing this? 
come back. Okay, you've made your point. Why won't you come back? What are you trying to prove? Why won't you come back? So um, that was the first book. Mm-hmm. And then when the boys were all done, um, after, after they were, so Damon and Charles were at Princeton and Evan was at Amherst. And I then wrote a book that Random House published, Morning by Morning, How We Homeschooled Our African-American Sons to the Ivy League. And people were really stunned because, um, as I said, initially it was, okay, we all said some things we didn't mean. Um, You've made your point, come back. Uh, Then it went to, who do you think you are? (laughs) (laughs) And then it went to, you're not qualified to do this. And then it went to, you're going to feel terrible when they are not competitive for college. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. People really, yeah. Um, so when they were, when, <laughs> since the Damon Charles are the oldest, when they were admitted to Princeton, which at that point, um, so they, they were admitted in 1998. At that point, Princeton was deemed by U.S. News and World Report to be the number one university in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, people were really, everyone was not happy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> people, people were not, people were not amused. Um, and how did you do that? Now, we didn't do all the teaching ourselves. Mm-hmm. So along with our business, we had the garden. So we, and it was a home-based business. We, you know, we have to, we have to work. So we hired African and African-American, mostly male graduate students. Uh, we had, of the seven tutors that we hired, two of them were sisters, but all of them were black to teach things like biology, French, and mathematics. Mm-hmm. And school went all year. There were no summers off, mm-hmm. no cable TV, no video games, mm-hmm. mandatory community service, and mandatory participation in the arts, and mandatory athletics through Columbus Parks and Rec Centers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And this was a curriculum that you all designed. We designed our own curriculum. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. We designed our own curriculum, which was not that difficult. I mean, again, both of us, both of us come from families that have been, that have been in this country since the late 1700s, Teresa. Mm-hmm. But both of us come from families that have been in lifelong marriages as long as it's been legal for Black people to be married. Mm-hmm. And both of us are from families that have been pursuing post-secondary education for as long as it's been legal for Black people to do that. There's a lot of pride there, Paula. A lot of pride. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of pride and a lot of recognition. Like, mm-hmm. this is this is not my first rodeo. Right. Um, and I think a lot of times we really allow a really narrow narrative about us as, as Black folks. Mm-hmm. You know, um, all of us are not coming out of generational dysfunction. Amen. <laughs> um, we really not. Okay. A lot of us know who their daddy is, <laughs> who their granddaddy is, who their great granddaddy is. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. Yeah. All of us. Yeah. All of us don't have, we're not a monolith. Right. And so, yeah, my, my husband and I were, my husband's grandfather was at Morehouse in 1898 
my great grandmother was at Bluefield State Teachers College in 1898. Mm, that's history. So, yes, we, we know a little something about education. Mm -hmm. And so we just looked at what are the admission standards at the most competitive schools in the country. And we figured if they're, if they're competitive for those schools, they'll be competitive for wherever they want to go. And Charles's position was, I don't care where they go to college. I just want them to have the choice whether they want to go and where they want to go. I don't want them to be juniors in high school. Like I wanted to go to college, but I realized I don't have the credits. So we developed our own curriculum based on what we knew admission standards were. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, be, I think that worked very well with gardening. You know, the thing that people, and I know you've seen this, people come out at the end of the season and they say, oh, the magnolia, or oh, the gardenia, mm -hmm. or oh, the roses, you're so, and then that's followed by the famous, you're so lucky. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Nobody wants to talk about the time you spent digging the hole before you put the dry root in. Yes. Nobody wants to talk about how you came out twice a day and knelt by the side of that rose bush and watered it at the root mm -hmm. slow. Mm -hmm. no, nobody wants to talk about that. People want to come and say, look, oh my God, you're so lucky. I don't understand that. My, my relatives aren't doing anything. No, you weren't doing anything. Right. They want and the beauty, but they don't want to invest the time in it. They don't, right. Everybody, everybody wants a happy family. Okay. Mm -hmm. People tell me all the time, oh, you're so lucky. You're so lucky. You and Charles are so lucky. Your kids, oh, you're so lucky. <laughs> like if you don't shut up telling me about how lucky I am. Okay. This is not luck. What you are seeing is the result of planned, intentional, consistent effort. Right. Also known as an investment of time in your, your children, your family, the garden, yeah. your life. Well, Charles was right. It's gardening is just like parenting and pastoring. They all require the same daily attention to detail and the same posture of humility, head bowed, body bent. Mm -hmm. You can't dial this in and nobody can do this for you. Right. Right. So, you know, everybody wants a great harvest, but you know yourself when you're planting, the garden begins when the planting stages. Right. It's that's the 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 that's the that's your strategic plan. Mm -hmm. What is going to be planted? Where is it going to be planted? Where are you going to get the things to plant it? And starting from your own seeds always gives you a better and more economical result than buying starts from somebody else. Right. Now let me ask you this: have, with the garden and in the state of America right now. Have you started seeds? Are you all gardening there? Can you garden there? What's the status up there? Um, yes, it's, um, we start from seeds on a regular, each year we start from seeds. Mm -hmm. And so we've done that again. We, gardening is deemed to be an essential activity. Mm -hmm. We still have to maintain social distancing in terms of physical contact. So we're not able to have 
the kinds of classes and workshops that we normally have this time of the year, they've been Zoom versions. Okay. So we've done Zoom versions and virtual classes. We normally have a lot of classes and workshops actually in the garden. And obviously we can't, we can't do that. Right. And I have not yet figured out how we're going to handle our farmer's market. We do an on-site farmer's market. Mm -hmm. We sell the produce for a dollar a pound. Wow. And because USDA Economic Research Service identifies our zip code as a low income, low access urban food desert, 33% mm -hmm. of the households are at or below the poverty line. Mm -hmm. And 13% don't have access to a car and the closest supermarket's 4.3 miles away. And it's Whole Foods and Trader Joe's. Mm -hmm. So we stopped using the term food desert because the desert's a naturally occurring environmental situation. This is not naturally occurring. Right. So we, we use the term urban food apartheid. But we sell, we do not give the food away. And, and we, our church does have a huge food pantry. And I recognize that food pantries serve a definite emergency service. And quite frankly, right now, we're going to see a, a greater need than we ever have before. Oh, yes. The difficulty, of course, is the frequently you'll see the same people at the food pantry week after week, month after month, year after year. Mm -hmm. And it is food that is being donated frequently by corporate entities who then write that off as a tax deduction. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I frequently say to people is, I just, I just wonder if we paid people a living wage so they could afford to buy food, okay? Mm -hmm. And or encourage people to grow food. And one of the things that we have noticed is people frequently comment about how beautiful our garden is. It's, it's not the Tuileries, but it is, it is very intentionally, very, very lovely. We grow a lot of flowers, um, things like gardenia trees and hibiscus um, and hydrangea bushes. We have lots of giant zinnias and tulips and roses but that's visual food. You're still yeah. feeding people. Exactly. That's visual food. I think what people often don't realize is just because people are poor doesn't mean they don't deserve beautiful things. Thank you. So the garden is laid out in a, a pretty rigid way. The, there's a reason that the beds are not made out of plastic. They're made out of wood. Mm -hmm. the, there's a four-foot walkway between all the beds. Um, those walkways are lined with, with white pea gravel. Mm -hmm. the, the beds are planted intermittently with various, various flowers. It also helps because we have a lot of pollinators because of the flowers. So we have a lot of hummingbirds, um, a lot of butterflies, and a lot of, a lot of bees. Mm -hmm. And so the, the pollinators help maximize the production with the produce, but we also make, I mean, we sell the food, as I said, for a dollar a pound, but where we really make our money is on the flowers. Oh, really? Yes, we make our money on the flowers and the processed foods. 
So we grow strawberries. I make strawberry jam. We have apricot trees. I make apricot jam. Um, Are you teaching the helpers that come and help you how to do these things? Is this a, a skill that they'll learn? Yes, yeah, I have canning classes. I have canning and preserving and pickling classes. They are not, they historically have not been well attended. I suspect that that's because that's going to see a bump. Um, but yeah, we make our money on the jams, the cookies, and the flowers. I sell the flowers for a dollar a stem. And the thing about, particularly with, with the giant zinnias, which people really love, mm -hmm. but you know, you, they cut cut and come again. So they're like green beans. The more you harvest them, the more they produce. Mm. Uh, people appreciate, well, when they say a thing of beauty is a joy forever. Yes. It is. And then our fence, we have a $12,000 wrought iron fence with a, uh, a keyed gate. And when I saw the, the, I mean, I knew we needed a fence. We needed a fence for security reasons mm -hmm. with the, the equipment and things. Mm -hmm. And the guy who owned the fencing company, um, it was Lannis Fencing originally. It's been since sold. Um, but the guy who came out from Lannis Fencing is the son of the man who started it, the company. Mm -hmm. And he really loved what we were doing. And he said, you know, this is fabulous. We'd like to donate the fence. We'd like to donate a fence. Um, and I was like, yeah, that, I appreciate that. But I know that what you would donate is a chain link fence. And we don't, I don't want a chain link fence. Right. Um, this is not a neighborhood where people need any other reminders of mass incarceration. Yes. I mean, the garden just opened in 2014. So mm -hmm. when we had the fence put in, the garden was only two, maybe three years old. So we weren't selling enough to raise $12,000. Mm -hmm. um, I did an online uh, crowdfunding mm -hmm. and that's how, and the company was extraordinarily gracious. They went ahead and installed the fence with just a thousand dollars in cash and my word that we would pay them the rest of it. Mm -hmm. And it is, the, the fence is just gorgeous and it's beautiful and functional. And when people come to the space uh, and people come to the space sometimes just to sit, we have benches throughout the garden and there's a large teak table and chair set in the garden. And people come to sit and, and just enjoy the space. So some people are there to work and some people are there, which is why there are flowers and flowering shrubs and trees all through the garden. Because mm -hmm. that helps put people in the proper mental space. Yes, it puts people in the right mental space. And it says to people in the community, you're worth something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're worth something. Yeah. And that is that's an important thing. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I love that part. I mean, I like the, I like the food. I like there are people who have specific things that they want from the garden. Mm -hmm. So there are some older women at church who buy all the okra that we can produce, <laughs> okay, which is a lot of okra. Mm -hmm. 
um, interestingly enough, I didn't realize, I didn't know this before I started growing, because I had never grown okra at home because no one in my family likes it. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize what a beautiful plant okra is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely exquisite. And um, so, and even the things that we use to enhance the productivity, so the plant supports, all of those things, I spend a lot of time thinking about the aesthetics of those pieces. Mm -hmm. And so that the space overall, I, when people walk up, I expect them to do what they usually do, which is to say, oh my goodness, mm -hmm. it's lovely. Because it is. Mm -hmm. It seems like from your relationship with your husband, grooming, raising and grooming your sons, starting this garden in honor of your husband, a seed was planted many, 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 many years ago. And that seed has evolved and you have become a perennial in the landscape of Ohio. Thank you. That's what it sounds like to me. So, so a word of wisdom for the parents that are getting to know their kids now because mm -hmm. they're homeschooling and how they can incorporate what they're doing on an educational, from an educational standpoint to the garden to embrace this newfound relationship with their children. Mm. Ah, well, a couple of things I guess I'd say about that. Probably most significant, I think, is sort of building on this Buddhist ideology of embracing the difficulty. I think sometimes when something is hard or feels painful, we have a tendency to pull back mm -hmm. as opposed to leaning into it mm -hmm. and, and embracing it. So it's difficult. This is not what anyone would have planned. No one wanted this to happen, but this is the current situation. Mm -hmm. I think that the attitude we bring to it shapes the experience we have in it. And so that's one thing. I think the way that gardening can really help on so many levels, it's a, it is a very therapeutic. I wasn't being facetious when I said we started this big garden as free grief therapy. One of our hashtags for this garden is he started us in a garden for a reason. Oh, that's awesome. That's so, there's a lot yeah, of whatever your, um, I mean, where you, wherever you may be on the Abrahamic tradition, uh, from a Judaic perspective, an Islamic perspective, or a Christian perspective, the origin story in Genesis is the same. Right. And, and I think what's interesting about that is, and uh, a dear friend of mine, Dr. Renita Williams, really pointed this out to me. I didn't see it, which is not surprising. Renita Renita's a was I think the first black woman to get a PhD from Princeton in, in Old Testament Hebrew. But she and I were roommates once upon a time at Wellesley, our first year. Mm -hmm. And Renita came and spoke at, at the garden. And one of the things that she pointed out that I had not noticed was in Genesis where it says at the beginning, God said this and it happened. God said that, let there be light and it happened. Everything was spoken. But until it gets to the garden, it says, and he planted a garden. He didn't speak that into existence. He put his own hand into it. And 
which means he invested time. Yes. 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 You, you, you care and you dress it. Your hand is in this. You can't speak this mm -hmm. at a distance. You can send the word, but you, you plant the seed. And I think, I think that's a very valuable lesson for children to learn is the what happened. And it's also a great way to understand about the cycles of life the planting, the harvesting, the living, the dying, this is all, and how dead things get used back in the garden as compost. Mm -hmm. So yes, he started us in a garden for a reason, the, the life lessons about seasons. That's why whenever I go to church gatherings and somebody says something like, oh, the Lord told me to tell all of y'all it's your season. I know right then the Lord didn't tell you that because we <laughs> we all have different seasons. Like if you're sitting in a congregation and, and you're a pumpkin and you're seated next to an okra and there's a tomato on the end, we don't have the same season. That's right. Okay. We don't, we don't have, we don't have the same season. Um, and there's asparagus across the aisle. We have different seasons and some of us are perennials mm -hmm. and some of us are annuals mm -hmm. and some of us are going to blossom it, some of my peonies, oh, we have so many beautiful peonies. Mm. They're going to be looking gorgeous in about three weeks. Mm -hmm. And other things won't. By the time they're fabulous, the asparagus will be done. Right. And so learning when things are, what it means to be in your season. Mm -hmm. And when your season comes, be ready to harvest. Mm -hmm. those are those are valuable lessons and there's also just sort of functional things that children learn from working in a garden the importance of timeliness yes um the importance of mathematics it makes a difference whether it says to plant the seed a quarter of an inch deep a half an inch deep or two inches deep that does matter yeah um square foot gardening maximizes your productivity, but that means you've got to actually measure out 12 inches. Right. And so I think the attention to detail, but I've never seen a little child who didn't enjoy gardening. Yeah, it isn't the truth. I mean, what's not to like? There's dirt, there's plants, there are bugs, there, there are butterflies. And when they... And I've had so many children over the years who've told me, you know, normally, Miss Paul, I don't eat this. I don't eat green beans. I don't eat beets. I don't eat, there's a whole host. Of, I don't eat Brussels sprouts. I don't eat broccoli. But when they've grown something, they're much more likely to eat it. Exactly. Um, and the joy of edible flowers. We grow a lot of nasturtium. Mm -hmm. My favorite, my favorite plant. <laughs> Yes, and they're so beautiful, yes. and they taste yes. so delicious. Yeah. We grow a lot of borage, and, and many children have never seen borage, um, but it's, it's a great um, way to keep pests down. We don't, use any, we don't use any pesticides in the garden other than the ones that we make. Good. So, you know, we use garlic and cayenne pepper, um, but things like borage really help. Mm -hmm. um, learning about companion planting, mm -hmm. learning about watching weeds. And it's that's such a great lesson for children that 
you know, everybody who wants to be up around you and up on you is not your friend. Right. And you know, when you plant and you'll see weeds come up and how plants have different shades of green mm -hmm. and how the weed will almost always be the same shade as that plant mm -hmm. and how it'll grow so close to the plant. <laughs> so he says, God's got to separate the wheat from the tear. Yeah. That thing of paying attention Who's near you? Are they like when you have tomatoes? They have to be trimmed because some of that growth is just suckers. Right. So all of those things I think can be very helpful. And when children and teenagers begin to see the economics of gardening, so let's say you go whole hog and buy a packet of non-GMO open pollinated seed from a top of the line producer. Mm -hmm. So you spend $4 on it. You know, one package of green beans, you could produce 300 pounds of green beans. Right. And when they see what green beans cost in the store, if you can get them, when people see what romaine lettuce costs, if you can get it, if you can mm -hmm. find it, mm -hmm. and if it's not infected with E. coli, mm -hmm. you know, when you're growing it in your own backyard, you know that, you know, there's no urine on it. Right. <laughs> that's true that's there's true. no there's no fecal matter here mm -hmm. because it's in your own backyard right so and, i think there's no pesticides no matter what the sign says there's no pesticides there's no, no, you, use them. you have to wonder you right. don't have to wonder so i think but again i think it's hard to teach something to a child that we one is not embraced first as an adult mm -hmm. and the idea of patience Right. Let patients have her perfect work. Gardening is a great way to learn patience mm -hmm. and care and attention to detail. Um, if the plant's not not producing, you know what the Lord said: just you have to dung it, you have to dig around it, mm -hmm. make sure the earth isn't compacted. Mm -hmm. um, helping children learn the difference between dirt and soil. Mm -hmm. um, these things are life lessons, not to mention the academic opportunities that are being offered because there are so many colleges and universities that have scholarships for students interested in any aspect of agriculture. And a lot of that money goes unclaimed. Mm -hmm. There are opportunities and quite frankly, for anybody who's got any children with entrepreneurial bends, um, I really think there's going to be some great opportunities for people to grow and sell produce yes. um, because again, it doesn't, you don't need a whole lot of land or a whole lot of money to start some green beans or some tomatoes. It's not like trying to grow corn where you really need some space to grow corn, mm -hmm. but you can grow green beans. You know, you can grow peas almost on concrete. <laughs> right. You can, you can grow peas and green beans and tomatoes. And if families, you know, I'm 65 years old. When I was a girl, um, my parents didn't grow vegetables, but everybody in our neighborhood, including my parents, had fruit trees. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of our neighbors also grew vegetables. It was very common for people to grow some food that their family consumed. Right. Everything, you should not have to exchange cash 
for everything you put in your mouth. And so if families would in one neighborhood think about, you know what, I'll grow green beans and you grow tomatoes, Mm -hmm. you grow onions and you grow, you grow potatoes are so easy to grow. Right. (laughs) I had potatoes over winter this year. Yeah. Yeah. My collards overwintered. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm in Ohio. Mm -hmm. Okay. My collards overwintered. Wow. Um, spinach is so easy to grow. Right. Um, turnips, beets, mm-hmm. we grow, um, as I said, we grow everything from asparagus to zucchini. Mm. Um, and even things that are sort of unusual to a lot of kids, like tomatillos. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of those things we use. So we, the tomatillos that we don't sell, we make into salsa. Mm-hmm. There's no waste. <laughs> there's no waste and children are fascinated by compost mm-hmm. uh, I'd also suggest that families think about getting a worm farm mm-hmm. um, it's a it's a great way for kids to learn about vermiculture and composting and it reduces your waste mm-hmm. and garbage and then you get to reuse that right. it's the best thing in the world for anything that you're trying to grow fruits flowers or vegetables right it, it just seems like the the big uh, statement here is embrace this moment and sow the seeds of positivity in your children's minds. Yes. To prepare them for the harvest, which is the future. Yes. Recognize that they are they are heirloom seeds. They are the result of resilience. And this is particularly true for those children who are the descendants of people who not only survived chattel slavery, but who really prospered Mm -hmm. and who have imbued a level of spiritual insight, cultural vibrancy, not to mention just straight up style. So yeah, the seeds of resilience are already there. My family is not unique. There are lots and lots of families. The fact that we're not aware of that just goes to how often without intentionally, consciously recognizing it, we support mythology that there's a singular story of Black people in this country. Mm-hmm. When in fact, there are, there are generations of folks who have been doing amazing things um, and creating viable families in the midst of challenges that most people now who are whining about microaggressions mm-hmm. couldn't even couldn't even fathom. Exactly. <laughs> couldn't even fathom. And people built functional relationships and marriages and raised children who were healthy and vibrant. So this is, this is, this is not the worst, this is this thing that doesn't ever happen. Okay. Right. It's not. So, you know, they say, gird up your loins. (laughs) This is time to, yeah, this is time to gird up your loins and figure out where is there an opportunity here? Where is there an opportunity? Because yeah, we should be spending time with the people that are closest to you. That should be a privilege. Yep. Yep. And it shouldn't be a pain. Uh -uh. Well, you know, I think, Teresa, I think two things about that. I think 
if you haven't planned on doing something, it can be very difficult to pivot quickly. Mm. I think there's definitely that. I think also if, if, if people are not accustomed, if you didn't grow up in an intact family, mm. it's difficult to try to make one. True. Right. Um, so there's that. I also think that there are, we are so accustomed to distractions that the whole idea of being still, being quiet, is a, it's a, it's, if it's hard for the parent, it's going to be very hard for the child. Right. And so I think people have to give themselves a little bit of a break and recognize, okay, this is not what I planned to do. Okay? Right. <laughs> this, is, this was not part of the plan. The plan was... I'd have this job, mm -hmm. um, my child would be at daycare or childcare, or I'd have an au pair that came to my house, mm -hmm. right? Um, I would have someone who comes to my house and cleans, yep. right? Um, I get all of my food delivered or I go out to eat. So there's a lot that people are having to adapt to. Like there is no childcare, daycare, au pair. It's just you. <laughs> there's no, there's no maid service. There, there's no restaurants. It's just you. Yeah. It's, it's, there's no camp. There's no scouts. There's no extracurricular activities. Mm -hmm. It's just you. You are the it all of a sudden. <laughs> there's no escape, even for the two parents. There's no even when people complained about that commute, for a lot of people, that was a time to like get your hair right before you either get to work or before you get home. Right. Having to navigate everything in that space is, I think people need to give themselves permission to feel all the feels, okay? Like this is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is a lot and it's okay. Mm -hmm. So now we realize it's a lot, we've articulated it's a lot, now, how do we map out the path forward? What's the strategy? Right. And, and what's the end goal? And that's, again, that's a, another gardening technique that you know, because everybody who gardens know you start off, you don't start the garden in June. Amen. You start the, you start the garden in January. Yeah. When you're thinking about, I wonder what I'm going to plant mm -hmm. and how we're going to rotate crops and what, what do I need to get in place? which is why going back to your earlier question about seeds, right now people are struggling because it's hard to find seeds. <laughs> well, I think for people who are accustomed to gardening, of course they're good because you bought your seeds in January or you saved them from last year. You bet. <laughs> but from people who are thinking about gardening right now, mm -hmm. part of what's difficult is A, they didn't, people weren't thinking that this would be a necessity. And then once people get their head around the fact that maybe I need to think about this, then the next part of the challenge is where am I going to get seeds? A lot of, I mean, there are, it's, it's like trying to buy bread flour. A lot of people are now realizing, I guess I'm gonna have to start cooking. Maybe I'll start making bread. You know, you can't find bread flour. Exactly. Exactly. So for people who have seeds, you know, I mean, I know I've been telling people I have seeds. We can figure out how to get some to you. Mm -hmm. um, 
because there are families who are trying to figure out, all right, I want to start, but how, how am I going to get, how am I going to get soil? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's one thing to have good seed, but if you don't have good soil, you got a problem. You have, and where are you going to get soil? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. some of it is, is really base, base things that somebody like you who's been doing this for years, you wouldn't even think about that because you already know. But for a lot of people who are thinking right now, maybe I, maybe I should grow a tomato. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Where are they going to get the containers, the soil? Maybe they want to put in a four by four bed. Maybe they don't have kids who know how to use power tools. Right. Right. So part of what I think is going to be increasingly important is figuring out how to share the information and the resources with more and more people. Exactly. And helping people understand that that tomato plant's going to do even better if you have some flowers around it. Right. Right. And, and what about a few herbs that you can mm -hmm. enhance the flavor of the tomato, but you can use them and cook it. And the herbs are also helpful for people and their stress levels. Yes. Um, the lemon balm, we do a lot of lemon balm. And sometimes when I notice that parents with their little ones and they seem really on edge, I'll just cut them some lemon balm. Mm -hmm. Like just hold this and smell it. And when you get home, put it in some, a pot with some hot water, make some tea. You can put some in your bath. Chill out. And it helps. It helps. Yes, absolutely. Lavender. Yes. Helping people understand which herbs are beneficial mm -hmm. and and how they can use it. And yes, and how to flavor your food with chive um, and rosemary and all those kinds of things so you don't have to rely on salt. Right. Right. Which is another level of, of things because as African-Americans, and I'm in Prince George's County, Maryland, and so all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, there's a lot of unhealthy African-Americans here. Well, nothing new, right? but we need to decrease the salt. Yes. So what can we use to decrease the salt? Grow some herbs. Herbs are one of the easiest things you can grow. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. You know? So I hate to end this, but I, can, can you tell people how they can get your books on homeschooling? Because my sense is not everyone, but some people will happily send their children back to school. Right. Other people will go, you know what? This, this is, honey, how can we manage our finances so that we can make this work for us? Where can people find your books? Well, you can, if you go to my website, um, and that's T-E-L-O-S-I-N-C dot org. And there's a spot there where you can see information about the garden. And you can um, buy our products. And that includes almost all of my books. Okay. And... And if push comes to shove, if you have difficulty on the website, um, when it, and it will be under the donate page, it'll have all the, or either donate or product. But you can also just contact me directly through email 
if you want to just email me directly, it's paula at neighbor.com. Oh, hi, see you. <laughs> so that's paula at neighbor.com. And that's N-A-B-R-I-T. Exactly. Okay. All righty. Well, Paula, it has been great spending time with you. Um, you had an event that was canceled, but I was planning on surprising you. Um, but maybe next year or later this year, I would love to come up and take a uh, tour of the garden. We would love, to, love, love, love to have you. I'd, uh, it's always wonderful to have another gardener in the garden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And so there's, so there's that. And I just, I would love for you to see our flowers. The flowers are, they're one of my favorite parts of the garden. Oh, uh, well, I can't wait. Thank you so much for taking time. And hopefully some other homeschooling um, parents will get something out of this and reach out, maybe buy your book um, or just go on online and look at your website and look at the garden and go, you know what? We can do that. Yeah, well, thank you. And, and you can follow me on Facebook. So that's, I'm, the garden has its own page on Facebook, the CMN Memorial Garden, or you can just look for me on Facebook. Okay, CNM Memorial C, Garden. C as in Charles, M as in Mary or Madison, N as in Naprit, the CMN Memorial Garden. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Paula. Thank you so much, dear. I really appreciate it. Thank you for asking me. Okay. Well, happy gardening. Happy gardening to you, too. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Wow, what a great conversation with Paula. I do look forward to meeting her and seeing her garden. I wanted to leave you real quick. Uh, thank you for your patience. I thought that conversation was more than worth having. Here's a quote by Gloria Steinem. Without leaps of imagination or dreaming, we lose the excitement of possibilities. Dreaming, after all, is a form of planning. I hope you're planning your garden today, and I look forward to bringing someone new to you next week. This is Terry, Cottage in the Court. <laughs>